uh, Pratik, you're the CEO of Sky Skyfree. Am I pronouncing it right? Skyfree. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, uh, you're a clean tech company that provides a complete solution to make solar asset management better and more efficient for companies around mm -hmm. the world. Can you tell me a bit just about yourself personally and how? how you got involved on this entrepreneurial path in the first place? Did you have early childhood influences? Was it something you aspired to or did it just kind of you know, happen that you had a, a change in your journey? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I mean, thanks. Thanks for asking, uh, Mariana. Uh, I'll see, I grew up in a family where we had uh, <clears throat> a small scale business people around me always. My, I, I grew up in, the large family where my my dad's uncles were always managing their own businesses. So I grew up in that environment, having to do things by all by yourself, being your own boss and things like that. But somewhere in the middle, my my parents, my dad, my uncles, they all went into regular jobs. So I was kind of got into jobs naturally. And then until after like uh, much, much later, almost about 10, 12 years of my life, I haven't thought about it. I thought I was always growing a corporate career. I've been doing well, right? But then one thing led to another and I had opportunities. So Skyfree is not my first company. Okay. It's not my first venture. So I started a company called Tasty Data Solutions, mm -hmm. which was which is quite an interesting name, but it was meant for uh, understanding consumer purchase powers, purchase uh, preferences in a dynamic manner. So I was always in this analytics and all that. I wanted to do something on the technology side. Um, so one thing led to another. We started, I started a consulting company and then on to Skyfree. So that's, uh, so once you kind of taste the entrepreneurship, you just can't go back doing anything else. That's what I felt. What is it about entrepreneurship then that, that gives you that, you know, that little kick, that thing that says, yes, this is what I want to do. It's like the, you, of course, have your freedom of thought. Everyone has it uh, in a free world. But uh, the freedom of execution of that thought, channelizing that energy that you have without having to stick to a framed structure, which is already existing, uh, is what's the most interesting part. And the second thing is, at the beginning of entrepreneurship, uh, there's a lot of energy, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what makes you get up in the morning. And like my wife says, I'm less thinker, I'm a doer. So I like to do things. So, and nothing is a better avenue than an entrepreneurship. Yeah. So where where did the idea for Skyfree come from? Uh, that's interesting. Uh, so one other thing I had to tell you that Skyfree actually is a, is a Norwegian word in a sense. Oh. So it's it's pronounced as Shifi. Oh, uh, Shifi. 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 And then, yeah. And my my other two co-founders are Norwegian. They'll tell you they came up with the name. So Shifi. Uh, but then for the English speaking world, of course, we use Skyfi. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, uh, my other co-founder, Moshe Demali and Peta Esbeg, were all uh, you know, serial entrepreneurs in Oslo and, and Norway. They have been developing, building businesses for a while. And we have known each other for almost like five years now, from 2017, and I was living in Munich back then. 
And uh, we, I was working for a Norwegian company. It's a model manufacturing company. I headed their global sales and they wanted to develop a solar power project, uh, I mean, a company. And they went ahead, they were building North Solar and we wanted to do something together. Uh, and I went my way after the, after the manufacturing company, I went my way into asset management, solar asset management. And when I joined Next Energy Capital in London, and I was managing like 4.5 billion sterling of assets in Europe, in Italy, and all over the place. But we always kept in touch. We thought and we could someday do something together. And incidentally, we all were facing similar issues. And back then, back in 2020, we started connecting with each other. And they said, you know, we have this power plants, they don't work. We don't know what's happening. It's like a black box. The ONM is black box. Uh, we don't understand our our investment probably is at risk. And I, as an asset manager for Next Energy Capital, was facing exactly the same issue. Oh, wow. Right? But I was seeing it more from an operation standpoint. I know exactly the challenges are that they're talking about. So we then decided we let's do something together. Yeah. And by then, I, I already had a kind of building something with a team of mine. And then we had a breakthrough in the technology point of view. And then we decided to give it a formal and that's how Skyfree was born. So what exactly were these these issues that you were facing and what impact was it having on the on solar assets? Right. So I'll probably take a step back just to explain yeah. the context a bit. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we all have been hearing COP21, COP26 and stuff like that, the several climate commitments the different uh, countries are making and climate change, a disaster, uh, is a real thing. And the scientists have proved it beyond doubt Absolutely. that this is a real thing. Uh, but what all we could do is, I mean, we probably have very limited capability to stop this change, but we can delay this change and delay the impact. So that's the primary motivation, right? And I, by my natural transition in my career, I got into this uh, energy management, renewable energy, have been in the industry for almost 22 years now. Mm -hmm. And we have realized that we have invested far too much capital in building solar, wind, and other renewable power plants than investing in managing them. Mm -hmm. So the management and the operations part was neglected in a sense, if you'd like. Yeah. It was still very mm, manual power driven very analog, uh, the processes don't exist and you use siloed setup. And then you have all those old systems and legacy systems that you use to manage them. Uh, in, in a nutshell, it's a black box. It doesn't work very efficiently. Uh, we also saw a transition that was happening was the large investors came in and they were investing and their, their capital was at risk. Their IRR that they have committed to their LPs was at risk because if the power plants don't work, then they don't meet our, yeah. so, um, so the generation was not optimal. The operation expenses were going to the roof because you're always dependent on manpower. It's analog yeah. system, unpredictable. So you wanted to target all of that, make it, make it more systemized. Uh, we wanted to modernize it. And our stated goal is to automate solar power plants. And we started with solar power plants, but we have a very generic technology, uh, quite an agnostic technology, which can then be used in wind, energy storage, and so on and so forth. So why we do that? What if we have not done that? And why now, you would ask me. So 
if he had not done it, we probably will see the capital drain out of uh, the investment in renewable. Because you have all the large uh, institutional investors like BlackRock, Blackstone, Actis, and they're not really into only motivated by renewable investment. They're investing in airports, in, in roadways and hotels and stuff like that. Yeah. And if those assets give them alternative assets, give them better returns, they will just go away. So we wanted to make this uh, capital investment sustainable. Mm. Why now? Because this is probably at the tipping point where the initial uh, markets have been developed. All the initial market development has happened. The local domestic players have created large assets and they're changing hands to these institutional investors, which now need to protect their investment more than any time ever in the, past, in, the, in the past. And even in future, they'll do it more. So that's why we saw this was the tipping point. But to be honest with you, Marianne, it sounds like everything was planned. It was not. Uh, it, it was also by being there at the right time and has to do a lot with luck. Yeah. So how, how does your solution make management of, of these solar assets better? Um, so we have a proprietary technology called Sidon, and uh, this does basically the three things. Uh, we identify all the underperformances, anomalies, uh, uh, energy losses in real time. And why is that important in the context is because I have been an asset manager, portfolio manager, and I have led companies, I've been in private equities. I know that the reporting that happens, the asset management that happens, it's an after the fact, yeah. very late thought. So you get a report after a month, after a quarter, and then you suddenly realize uh, that some of your plans didn't work. Some of your inverters were not switched on and something has burnt out or maybe transform or needed a replacement. And by the time you'd know, you already would have lost your revenues, your generation and your revenues. And to fix them back, uh, because they're also aged, right? You need to spend more. So your top line reduces, your bottom line increases further. So this much your gap, you'll now have to fill up for, right? So we wanted to know exactly when things happen, exactly when things fail or even futuristically when they might fail, they're showing signs of underperformance. That's the real-time management. Then we wanted to break the silos. We, we wanted to change the habit of uh, people. So we are fundamentally changing the habit of how our operations are done. So as, as opposed to having to work with an accounting system in a different place, uh, a few Excel and PPT and like some other monitoring system and some other siloed system, we wanted to give one single you know, source of truth. So that's the second one. So we are doing it real time. We are doing it in a single platform integrated and we are doing it autonomously. That's the third value proposition. So we, we don't need a lot of people to manage the system. So everything happens automatically. The algorithm runs on a machine learning, deep learning uh, uh, setup. And it just does things automatically, which had needed, I would have needed probably probably 20, 30 member team, depending on what's my portfolio size and would have spent so much money. So that's the thing. And so the final value proposition to the investor goes back in form of increased rate of return. Mm. Mm -hmm. Wow. So I'm, I'm actually amazed that what you're doing 
it, it automates the monitoring process, right, of, of, of solar assets to the extent that you, it, it can do the work of what what used to take 20 to 30 people. Yes, I mean, we are actually in the process of- That's absolutely incredible. <laughs> no, totally, thank you so much. I mean, uh, but just that we are not the, not automating the monitoring process, we are yeah. also automating the management process. Mm. So we are just not stopping ourselves in monitoring and analyzing. We are also taking actions. And even the action part is somewhat automated. Mm -hmm. We have our system which can take everything that fails in the, in the power plant that we have monitored, creates the alerts and yeah. the incidents. Yeah. Then those alerts and incidents are automatically integrated into a ticket. Mm -hmm. And those tickets go to a site version or maybe, maybe goes to a technician which this go, then goes and fixes the problem. So from acquiring data to analyzing data to understanding data, to taking action on data, the entire value chain is automated now with our system. Wow. And what kind of management is needed for these solar assets? I mean, obviously there, there's monitoring, so you, you know when, when something goes wrong and you need to repair something, but I mean, are you, what, what else do you actually actively monitor or, or manage? Is, is yeah, it sure. switching things on or off or the amount of energy you can, you, you can store or? Right, so that's a great question, actually. I mean, so we monitor the entire, and monitor and manage the entire operation of a power plant. Yeah. Now, this is in two parts. Uh, one is OMM, it's an acronym, which basically means operations and maintenance. Basically, it means that if it's a solar power plant, you're cleaning it, or you're making sure that nothing is dented, the structural integrity is there, uh, the grass and the vegetation is not creating extra shadows and stuff like that. Uh, the security is intact in, in a large power plant. But then there is also another side of it, which is called asset management, which is where we look at the financial and operational performance. Like how, how has the power plant um, performed uh, financially? Have I paid all my bills dues in time? Am I... Am I compliant all the time? Are there regulatory requirements that I'm still not fulfilling or I need to fulfill? What's the cost of it? Are my warranties in place? Is my insurance up to date? Uh, what if it's not? What do I do with it? And then last but not the least, how about my inventory? Do I have enough spares, tools, and tackles to manage? Because nothing is worse than not having the tools and tackles when you need it the most, right? So this, the asset management, piece and the ONM piece, the entire system is integrated to our, to our platform. So that's why we call our platform an asset performance management system, as opposed to just a monitoring system or just an asset management system. So in today's, today's date, these are silo. So there is there are some companies trying to provide the asset management part, and it's mostly manual, mostly manual. This part is manual, people sitting in their desk, a team of 50, 100 analysts doing this work. And the other side is very on-site, like real, like uh, foot on the ground. And this is the ONM, and you have a little monitoring system. So what we have realized that we had this perfect opportunity to integrate and create one single system. So we, we monitor, we even acquire data ourselves because we have our own IoT SCADA solution, which is a little longer and we had a lot of uh, software firmware added to it. So we monitor it, then we manage it, and then we asset manage it. Then we create report, 
And like you can look at it as like Uber of uh, solar power plant management or renewable power plant management. Yeah. Uber calls themselves a taxi services company, just that they provide these taxi services with the platform. We are a solar power operator or we are a renewable power operator. We do it technologically. That's it. In the end, our commitment to our customers is that we will increase your generation. We will reduce your operations overhead and we'll reduce your operations risk. These are the three commitments we make to them. Yeah. And Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Can you give me an uh, idea of the percentage of cost savings that you can bring to a solar plant? So, uh, I mean, there are, there are two ways to look at it. If we are taking on an existing platform, existing asset, which has been operating for two, three, five, or 10 years, yeah. and is kind of used to managing it in a very manual uh, way. So we would probably look at between 30 to 40% uh, savings of operating overheads immediately, operating costs. Wow. Immediately, okay. within, within the first two years of, uh, and we will, this but as we progress, of course, by then we would have been already with them. The incremental operational improvement would be low. Of course, we cannot keep saving them 30%, 30%. <laughs> so yes. we haven't gotten to the stage. You are in a way because that money would have had to be spent every year, right? Oh, yeah. But okay. Yeah, I mean, that's right. So, that's a good thought. I mean, I'll yeah. probably take note of that. So, yeah. So, and whatever we have been performing, our our internal commitment is that we will improve, improve our operational efficiency by about 10%, a minimum 10%. That's the internal KPIs we have set for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, first 30%, 30% in the first couple of years and I take your take your take your pointer in that that probably that's the case on a long time basis, but incrementally also we will save ten to fifteen percent every passing year. And then what we'll do is, um, Marianne, and this is the grand kind of a dream to us, and if you'd like, that if we are able to really automate and bring down the cost and uncertainty of solar and renewable power plant asset management it will become the most important alternative asset plus anywhere in the world in anything. You don't need to look at it only as an energy asset plus. It will be the most important in, in asset plus, alternative asset plus. And there'll be more money flowing in. And what will happen is you and I, as an end customer, mm -hmm. will have much, much cheaper electricity. Yes. Yeah. And much more sustainable electricity, all of it which will be green, which today is not the case. So we are on a mission to completely phase out all fossil power. And that's exactly what the world needs more than ever right now, right? With so many countries struggling with the energy crisis and yeah, this yeah, and, and it will be so liberating for so many countries to have cheap solar power generated. Absolutely. So, no, and it's yeah. like a complete democratization. It's an energy Absolutely. access, which is like never happened before. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's no longer only the company, the, the countries which naturally had oil and gas, right, in their backyard right. will benefit That's every country. country. So it's, it's absolutely, yeah, incredible what you're doing. Have you seen, oh, well, well let me find out first, how many, how many clients do you have now? I know that you said you're one of the fastest growing clean tech companies. And now that, now that I, I hear about the kind of cost savings you're generating, <laughs> I'm not surprised, but how, how many clients do you have now? So 
We have a very large number of clientele. I mean, the clientele is very large. So in terms of the actual sites that we manage as of today, and we are signing up like four or five sites every single week. So as of last week, we are managing close to about 185 sites. And, and in the coming, next coming months, we'll probably add, uh, you know, in a month time, we'll add probably another 20 site. Yeah. And that will represent, uh, uh, that will represent close to about 1,700 megawatt of management, both with the software and with the, uh, with the services. And, and that we, we have witnessed ourselves, and it was again, not by design, uh, Maria, we cannot take the credit for it. Yeah. It just we are at the right time at the right, right place and it just exploded. Like yeah. literally we grew we grew in the first few months like literally maybe about 500%. I mean we are going like that that level. Of I course we cannot sustain that growth. We cannot yeah. sustain yeah. that growth. It's 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 abnormal but but imagine that every year the world installs close to about 300 gigawatt of renewable power plant mm. and 60% of it is solar. Yeah. And as that year passes, as we come close to the 2030, this will just triple the number. So that many gigawatt being installed and 300 gigawatt will mean about close to about 250 to 80 billion dollars being invested. So you can imagine a trillion dollar being invested every year in the coming next few years. Someone has to manage it and you cannot manage it the way you're managing it today. So that's the thesis first. Yeah, that, that, that's fantastic. Which regions um, have you seen the biggest uptake? So uh, we have purposely tried uh, picking up the low hanging fruits and okay. which meant that we targeted the largest and fastest growing solar power markets. Those are the low hanging uh, fruit, eh? <laughs> the largest and, largest and fastest growing. That sounds like the, the that's higher, right, that's higher right. hanging fruit to me, but okay. I'm, I'm curious they, they, to hear what, what your idea is of, of the higher hanging yeah, so, fruit. So, so the reason we said low hanging fruits is because, you know, when, when you have this kind of speed and this kind of size, you're desperate to find a solution for your ONM. So the conversation, the sales conversation is very straightforward. Uh, and uh, for example, we are, we are present in India. It's the outside China is the second largest solar power market, wind power market. And it's also growing as fast as the US market is growing. And there we are, we are one of the top three suppliers. And our customers include KKR, our customers include Macquarie, our customers include uh, you know, platforms which are invested by Norfund and the likes. All the large customers you can think of, we have been working with them and the, these are global investors. And these institutional global investors are desperate to find a solution to fix the ONM the way it is from today. And they want to save their IR. So that's why I said it's low hanging fruit. Conversation is very straightforward. Most of the time uh, they release tenders, we participate in the tender and you get large orders. But of course, we are getting a lot of large orders in our existing customers. So yeah. that's that's why it is. Well, uh, and, the, and the reason the other markets, which is the European markets are not low hanging fruits is because they have been existing for a while. Uh -huh. They are not growing as fast, except for the Southern European markets, uh, Spain, Italy. And so it's it's a discussion about retrofitting. So retrofitting discussion is slightly longer. It's not difficult, but it's slightly longer. That's why I said they are 
uh, not so low hanging fruit and the sizes are smaller. Yeah. So you don't have a US is a 45 gigawatt market every year, just on solar, just solar every year. And there will be 60 gigawatt very, very soon. India is reaching like 15 gigawatt a year and they'll be reaching 20 gigawatt very soon. So then we are also present in Middle East. We are present in South Africa. Uh, we are, of course, in Norway, and uh, we have actively taken it on to uh, pursue Canada and North America together and ASEAN markets, Southeast Asian markets. So, yeah, you're, you're really going global. Thank you very uh, much. So, but, but right now, we, what is the one region where, where you're the most active? I mean, we are most active in India at this point in okay, time yeah. and, and in North America. And... How does that relate to the solar market generally? Where is the fastest growth? Where do you see the fastest growth in the solar market today? Yeah, like I said, I think I go back to my earlier answer. Yeah. So outside China, the fastest growth come, would come from India, uh, North America, uh, Latin America, Brazil, for example, is a very, very interesting market. And we are, we are kind of working out an entry strategy for that. Uh, Southeast Asian total, I would say ASEAN as a region uh, is very, very extremely high growth market. We are already entering Vietnam with one of our one of our customers, and Vietnam is a gigawatt scale market. We are also looking at uh, going further down in Australia and Japan with a software solutions alone. Probably will not provide services there. Uh, so these are the and South Africa, of course, uh, in African continent. So these are the places where we see most of the uptake coming in the next few years. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, uh, you're going to be so big, <laughs> your company, in, in, I mean, Thank you're you already that. growing fast, but I mean, it's really incredible to hear about, you know, to hear you say actually that there were just so many people desperate for a solution to this. Absolutely. And the Absolutely. best, you know, the best companies, the ones that grow the fastest are the ones that solve the problems that people have today. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting, I guess, as, as we have this, this climate, you know, the, this clean tech revolution, there are just going to be so many areas like the, one that you, like the one that you spotted where there's new infrastructure built somewhere, but you know, right. something is missing to make it work better or properly. And yeah, you're going to be the, the, the very big multinationals of tomorrow, that's for sure. We hope so. We're looking yeah. for, I, mean, see, I mean, all we wanted to do fundamentally, we wanted to provide solutions and you hit the nail right. Mm -hmm. So you said solving the problem. So we we didn't like the idea of being uh, marked as only a product company, only a software company or only yeah. a services company, because in the end, think about yourself as a consumer of us, uh, you want your problem to be solved. That's all you want, right? And now for your problem to be solved, you're looking either for a product or either for a service. I mean, you do not know. Someone comes and shows up and they say, okay, I mean, you need to go point A to point B. Probably you don't need to buy a car. Let me take it from me for you. I have a chauffeur for you. You don't need to do, you're not driving. You're doing your office work and that's Uber. So Uber is essentially providing a solution to your problem. Yeah. You want to go from point A to point B in a very predictable manner without taking the hassle of driving it. And you want to still do your work and have peace of mind because maybe you're preparing for a meeting, if you're preparing for a date or something like that. So that's exactly what Uber provides. We believed in the same thing. We wanted to provide solution. And that solution comes in the form of uh, integrating the software and the services together. Mm 
a solution. And as far as the, the knock-on impact that you're having mm -hmm. on, on the solar industry, um, do you do you see more investment coming into the space now, or, or investors gaining more confidence in, in putting their money into solar as an as an asset management class? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I can speak from my experience. I I started my career in solar when solar used to be so expensive. It was like it used to cost five million euros. And I'm, I'm talking in euros because I'm, I was in Germany back then in Europe uh, to just uh, build one megawatt of solar power plant. Mm -hmm. You can imagine compared to that, we are building several hundred gigawatts, yeah. like several billion megawatts, if you can think of. That's the gigawatt scale. And now the cost has dropped from being 5 million per megawatt to 0.5 million euros per megawatt. So you can see, imagine. So because of the immense dropping, uh, capital expenses, the capex, it has already become a mainstream class, asset class. What would have derailed its its uh, its potential is the is the lack of management of the solar power plants, and that's where we come in. Yeah, we are seeing increased amount of investment happening. Germany just uh, declared that they want to be a two hundred gigawatt market in just solar market in the coming years, and that investment will come from somewhere. So the Black Rocks, the Blackstones of the world, the KKR, they have already invested so much. All the all the corporates, the Google, Amazon, Facebook, they're buying solar power all over the place. So the money is coming in. And we want to not only sustain that money, hold that money, but we want them to come in more, right? Yes. Because we want to reduce the temperature below 1.5 degrees of content there. So we have to, we have a lot of commitment, a lot of task ahead of ourselves. So and that's where we come in. We're saying that, okay, now that you have invested, leave it to us, your assets are protected and we have made it very transparent. We have modernized it. So you're no longer dependent on the black box system. And this is how you see, this is how you report it. This is how you see your money growing. Your investors are happy. And please bring us next, next billion dollars so that we can build more. Great, yeah, that's fantastic. So I, I, I wanted to ask you, what the biggest challenge was to, to, to building this company. But when I hear about, you know, just how fast this growth is and how huge the, the need was, um, I think what I want to ask you more is what's it like to be, you know, leading uh, a, a company like this, which has so much potential and, and it's just growing so quickly. What I, I, I imagine that brings unique and different challenges. It must be super thrilling and exciting, but what are those those challenges for you? Yeah, I'll, I'll start by saying, and thanks for the question. I think these are very uh, close to my heart. Yeah. Uh, we're not feeling it as if we are leading it. Uh -huh. I mean, all the, all the, all the co-founders and the management, they're feeling as if we are doing it together. Mm. Like we are all very hands-on. We are part of every sales deals that are happening. We are, we are developing the product together. We're refining the product together. And while managing this large and growing, you know, uh, employee uh, base and the and the expansion, so that's the fun that we are enjoying at this point. We are not feeling like we are leading or managing; we're just doing all together. Uh, so that brings to your first question. I mean, we Skyfi started really, really in the pandemic era uh, or pre-pandemic, just pre-pandemic era, if you'd like. And we all started remote. The entire company has started remote. 
we started recruiting remotely and that's how we grew. You know, I mean, until up, until for about six months, I haven't physically met my co-founders. So no, you yes. <laughs> and by by then we had already raised funds and all that stuff. So, so you, you put a lot of trust in each other, just just trust. Absolutely. Trust absolutely. Uh, so that also correlates to your question that what's most important as what I have seen as an entrepreneur in my job, mm-hmm. and probably many entrepreneurs will uh, will agree with me, that uh, your team is your best, biggest asset. Yeah. Most of the time you fail as an entrepreneur because you just don't have like-minded people. You don't have people who, who can be dependent on and then who are just doing all the work. Because you alone cannot be a one-man army and do stuff. I, I sometimes wonder, I see these companies with one founder and I get surprised. I mean, how does that happen? So for me, a co-founding team, not only the co-founders, that was the key for Skyfree. That's how we all started. I do my, my 10% of the work. They do other 90% of the work and we all do it together. So if we hadn't found that team, we probably wouldn't be here. Yeah, so that that's incredible because it, it just shows that even when you when you have a solution to a huge problem and where, where there's just such big demand and desperate need for it, if you don't have the right team, you know, there's it, it doesn't mean you're 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 guaranteed to succeed. <laughs> even 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 Absolutely. when even when it seems the stars are already aligned for your company's success. So that's so true. That's yeah, so, so true. So on that note, um what I would like to ask you is what, what do you look for in a co-founding team and what advice would you give to other uh, climate tech entrepreneurs who may be looking for a co-founding team, team themselves? Yeah, I mean, if, if it was a design system, like I had a formula to find co-founding team, right? <laughs> then I would have created a pie chart <laughs> and I would have, I would have broken, the, broken the pie chart in five different complementary skill set and I would have found out my co-founder because I would have filled in already one. Yeah. It doesn't happen always that way. You, it's like your family, right? You are born in a family or you're given your parents, you're given your brother or sister uh, or your kids. So you, you don't have a choice to that, right? But you you would be extremely lucky if you find all the complementary skills in your co-founding team. And we have been that. So for example, when I came from the B2B sales and business development background, m background. Uh, Moshid is extremely seasoned in, in financing, uh, fundraising here, and Peter is in strategy. And then our late co-founder, Aslan, he, he heads the entire uh, product development technology. Then in our co-founding team, we found subject matter expertise. And then there is a legal co-founding member who is from the legal background. So it just fell in place. The most important thing is you all share a common vision. You all have the same pain points and you all are somewhat, I hate to say this, it might sound a bit negative. You all are frustrated with the status quo. You have to be frustrated with the status quo to to start something new. If you're happy, okay, okay. I mean, maybe I can do some incremental changes. There is no way the world moves fast, moves ahead with incremental changes. You have to just just overnight change things or at least have the ambition to change things. And we had, all of us had that. 
yeah oh I, I love that actually that's that's quite an interesting thought that yeah it takes being a little bit frustrated with the status quo to have a, a vision to really disrupt something and, and not just make an incremental change somewhere so right. um this this may be a tough question but can you describe your entrepreneurial journey in three adjectives uh, extremely busy Um, very interesting and very scary. Did you say scary? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's an honest answer. <laughs> so what, what, uh, is the, what is the, the scariest part about the being scary, a, a fast growth climate tech entrepreneur? Yeah, the scariest part is uh, what if these uh, team doesn't feel the same way tomorrow? What if they they, I mean, I'm not, I'm not worried about how the, how the market would be because that's clear, the market yes. is there. But I want this team to be equally passionate, equally thinking about things the way we have been thinking. And what if we, tomorrow we get up and we start to see a lot of disconnect in the team? Like that's the scary part, right? Yes. Uh, we, are not, we, are not, we are not put off by the fast growth. We can manage that. With our corporate experience, we know how to manage growth or to scale. So that's not the scary part. Uh, but to keep everyone motivated in the team, that's our biggest asset by far, by far. I mean, I cannot cannot uh, overstate this. Uh, that team has to stick together. And family is a cliche, but it's a common vision, common mission that this team has to always feel and kind of stay ahead of the curve and constantly ask the most critical unpleasant question and try to find solution. This is the motivation that I want to see every single day in my team. And this is what will take us from where we are to where we want to go. And really, not only us, to really create the solution that the world needs today. So that's the scary part. Uh, yeah, so that was answer to your question. Right. Right. And, and what have you learned about about that motivation and about making sure things continue to, to gel and people stay motivated. Are there any things that you do um, in, in Skyfree, let's say on a regular basis to try and create that, that kind of team spirit? We are still evolving, to be honest. We are constantly thinking, rethinking, re-looking at our value proposition, internal value proposition. Yeah. Uh, and we, we'd see how relevant they are. So we always kind of uh, dislike the idea that there is a, there's a value statement because no one reads value statement. Yeah. An employee comes, you go to GE, you go to Siemens, you go to large companies, you're probably just motivated by what they're doing, but you have not spent probably more than five minutes to read the value statement. And the value statements, the fundamentally values remain the same but their, their real, real uh, you know, application, the, yes. the, 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 the figurative way, they change because the circumstances change. So what we thought that that one value that doesn't change at all is the sense of care. Care for each other, care for your family, care for your people, care for people who you would work like spend 12 to 14 hours a day, at least five days a week. That's already like 90% of your awakened time, right? Or at least 85% of the awakened time because it's expected that you'll sleep for seven, eight hours. 
So by the time you're awake, you're already talking to them. So you care for each other. And that care automatically translates to the care for your customer. So customer shows up and customer has a very, very critical problem. And, you know, maybe sometimes those solving this critical problem may not make financial sense to you. You might be just losing in the short term a little money, but you still want to care for that customer and you want to take that opportunity to solve that problem for him. And then you get this kind of lifelong, you know, loyalty from that because you have stood by him the time when he wanted someone the most. So that comes naturally. You cannot teach someone. You cannot write it down on the wall and then say someone reads it every day and okay, no, no, I'll be careful, I'll be careful, I'll be caring. You cannot. It just has to be your natural self. And he or she has to see that happening within the company all the time. So we try to make sure that we are caring for each other all day. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, that's what, what makes, I guess, any, any relationship in life in general work, right? And it's, and it's true as true in the workplace as it is outside of the workplace. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we believe in uh, not work-life balance. We believe in work-life integration. And that's something that we want to create in the next coming months, coming years, a place where they don't feel disconnected from their obligations because you still have to pay your bills. You still have to take your kids to school. You still have to attend to your medical requirements and all that. And uh, a balance would mean that, okay, you spend 60% time here, 40% time there. It doesn't work that way because some days you probably are just a bit more free and you have a little more time to give to your work and absolutely depend, depends on the person. So if he or she feels that he or she has integrated the work life in a single environment, that's our winning uh, attitude. We will win and we'll continue winning. So uh, do you have a favorite quote or motto? Yeah, I, I believe uh, a couple of them, if you would if you'd let me. And yeah. sorry, I'm going to read it out to you, if that yeah, makes sure. sense. Yeah. Uh, and I keep doing that to myself. And uh, I believe uh, that, I mean, I, I read it from uh, Jack Ma of Alibaba. Uh, and he said that a founder's job is to make receptionist rich. Is to and make- he actually, the receptionist rich. Oh, nice. So that I like a lot because you generally create value at the very bottom of the pyramid. So that's when your real value is. And the other thing that I need, uh, uh, I, we love speed because we are on a blitz scaling mode and all that, but uh, the speed should not come in the way of direction. So there is one quote, I don't know who said that. Uh, it says that your direction is more important than your speed. And so that translates to, we often call, we, we stayed away from saying that we will be the biggest, we'll be so many gigawatts, uh, biggest is an outcome, yeah. not an objective. Yeah. Our objective is to be the most trusted, most desired, and yeah. most loved, most dependable. If you are all of the four, then you're naturally becoming the biggest. Everyone will come to you because they trust you, they love you, they want to work with you. So that's why we don't want to motivate our people by saying that, okay, you want to be the biggest by so and so years because they don't know how to do it. There's no magic way of doing it. All they can do is they can do whatever they do best. And that 
and customer decides whether you'll be biggest or you'll be bigger than the biggest. So as a, as a question before we, we wrap up, I just want to ask you, where do you hope to be in 10 years time? And, and that's both for yourself personally, you know, your personal dreams as well as for the company. Right, so, I mean, of course, I'm, I'm in my 42s, 43. Of course, I'm not retiring in 10 years. Of course not. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> you may be. Yeah. And, and, and the concept of retirement has a slight different meaning to me. But yeah. the company Skyfree uh, would still be creating a lot of value as one of the most trusted, dependable players in, in the entire renewable space. We will we will try to win the solar world. We'll try to win their love in the solar world, and then we'll move on to wind, storage. We'll play our role in virtual power plant. We will play our role in smart grid. Uh, anything that is on the supply side of, uh, of uh, power plants, and they're green, as long as they're green, we will have our role to play. And I would imagine, I would dream, to be honest, and... Uh, when Jeff Bezos started uh, uh, Amazon, he never thought that there'll be AWS one day and there'll be this one day, that one day. He just started a bookstore, That's true. online bookstore. Yeah. So, so I just want to be relevant in the in the market ten years from now. I mean, Skyfree to be relevant in the market. And personally, I don't know what operating capacity I'll be, what management capacity I'll be in ten years from now because. It's nice thing to make way for the next generation. They manage the company better. And we as co-founders stepped out at some point in time. I believe in that. Yeah. But I want to be involved uh, in, in everything that has to do encourage sustainable lifestyle globally. Be it on the energy, be it on the food, be it on the supply chain. I want to be seen as playing important role, at least important to me. Yeah. Uh, Ten years from now, and even even after that, yeah. So I'm not retiring. <laughs> well, that that's good because the world definitely needs people like you to keep working on these issues for 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 a little while. But thanks for so, your kind words. Yeah. So so um, another question is someone who works so close to the climate crisis, uh, right? Uh, I mean, I'm in this position. You're in this position. And you're, you're constantly, we know that there's so much innovation happening, which is really exciting right now, but we're also constantly faced with a problem. Mm -hmm. So what, you know, what, what gives you hope personally? How, how do, you, do, you, do you deal with sort of climate anxiety and what gives you hope for, for the future, for, for us creating a, a better future? Yeah, I would give a lot of credit to the youth of today. I mean, you have Greta in, in Europe and you have the likes and she has inspired a whole generation of youth. They are extremely aware. Probably they don't have the data points, but they just get it just at a, at a snap of a finger. They get it that this is not sustainable. Yeah. This is not where they want to live. And they're not only thinking about themselves, they're actually thinking about their parents, their grandparents. Mm -hmm. They want group for them as well. So that's the, that's the movement that is happening at front of the line. Then that, and then the second credit goes probably to, this, to the community of scientists. They have been extremely tirelessly working on it. 
and proving beyond, beyond shadow of doubt that this is happening and we should do something about it. So, so I had started in my career in this when, when it was it was an idea. Yeah, it was yeah. good to have idea. Well, someday we'll have everything run on solar wind and all that stuff. But in my my career itself and the little time I have spent, I have things seen things changing like so much that it becomes mainstream. So that that means the technology improved, but all the more the people have believed investing in this asset class, in this this problem, solution of this problem. So that gives me hope. The other thing that gives me hope is the the problem, the, the amount of problem that we're creating, the more problem that you're creating, the more need for solution there is. If the world is stand still like this, nothing moves. Yeah. You have to create a bit of imbalance. As long as you continue to create imbalance, as long as the humans are, human population are growing, their ambitions are growing, you will always need a solution. All our job is to give that solution in the most sustainable manner. That's it. Right. So that gives hope. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I like what you said about the youth of today. And it's true that there is there is such a change just just from, you know, one year to the next, even in, in what we see people catching on. And I mean, just five years ago, we didn't see this kind of a movement, right, where with the Fridays for Future and people going out and protesting. And so if you have an entire generation, um, you know, growing up so aware of the issues that's that's absolutely gonna, yeah. going to accelerate the solutions as well that's right and we are happy to pass the baton to them because yeah. they're already so motivated they're already so ready and we will happily pass it to them and they will take it forward so that gives hope yeah for sure great well i think i'll i'll wrap up on that uh, hopeful note <laughs> thank you very great. much thanks, thanks for having me marianne very nice talking to you thank you have you. a wonderful day Thank you, you too. Thank you.